Hi friends, welcome to the Friends of France podcast. In this safe space, we are favored in each episode with the presence of an expert guest from different fields and specialties as we learn about their life journeys, their successes, possible regrets, and realizations, their work, why they do what they do, and even their life outside of work. In here, we tear down common myths and misinformation with up-to-date, evidence-based science and data simplified for anyone to digest. We don't shy away from topics that can sometimes be polarizing or taboo. We normalize the humanization of healthcare and its workers, and we promote the importance of self-care and safeguarding your mental health. Please keep in mind that the conversations in this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. They are not implied or intended to be a substitute for professional medical diagnosis, advice, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers regarding a medical condition. Are you ready? Let's go! Hello! How are you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I've been so excited for our talk. It's September and I know a lot of schools start in September. So mm-hmm. it's just right that we talk about the other ugly aspect of school for most, which is student <laughs> loans and all the financial aspects. So before all of that, again, thank you for joining me. If you could just first please introduce yourself to everybody. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for having me. My name is Justin Jones, and I am currently in fellowship in Pediatric Critical Care Fellowship. So finished residency, spent some time as an attending, and now back in fellowship and, and training for critical care. There we go. And as you get into your medical journey, we'll realize how well in tune you are with the topics that we are going to talk about today. But before all of that, just an introduction about you. Can you give us an outline of how this whole journey came about into medicine, your inspirations behind pursuing medicine as well? Sure, absolutely. Happy to. I will say I've not really taken the traditional journey to medicine. Mm-hmm. was never someone who medicine was the thing I was going to do. I've kind of always pursued my interests along the way to medicine and found my way there ultimately. So spent some time abroad in college, was studying something completely unrelated to medicine, studying religion actually, and mm-hmm. um, found myself wanting to have practical and, and really tangible skills to offer to people. And so decided to look into medicine uh, when I got back from India and living abroad and took my pre-med courses and still wasn't sure that that was what I wanted to do. The basic sciences weren't my favorite thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And so spent a couple of years as a social worker working with refugees and then decided that I should definitely look into the the route of medicine and global health was of, of interest to me as well. And so decided to pursue it. And here I am along the way. And, uh, I've kind of taken a couple detours along the way, did med school, did residency, spent a couple years outside of residency, worked mm-hmm. abroad for a year in the Pacific yeah. on an island there, and yeah. then decided to come back and do fellowship. So, And here we are, right? And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> and through all of the highs and lows and the changes of decision, non-trad or even a traditional student, as they would say, fresh out of undergrad, I think one thing that can be true from what we hear from the narratives of many physicians who've gone through the journey is how long and arduous the whole journey is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we'll touch more about also the aside from the emotional toss and the physical toss as well, but the financial burdens that come with it, right? Mm-hmm. But having gone through, you know, medical school and the residency and then now that you're in fellowship, do you have 
any regrets pursuing this field and i think i want to shed a light also on what you shared in your stories i think today or yesterday and what's been flaring social media the past few days is the passing of a, a resident right mm-hmm. and i think it's this year and the past few years that we've been really hearing about the harsh conditions in medical training residency specifically and i wanted to get your perspective on that as someone who has gone through residency already Yeah, it's a really good question. And honestly, it's a hard one to answer because I think that with this journey comes a lot of sacrifice, Mm -hmm. to be honest, to be completely blunt and honest. And we miss out on a lot of things that are normal experiences for for other people in in the training journey. And it definitely is rigorous. And I think that there are times that I wish things were different and that I had more flexibility in my life and had more freedom to have a free schedule every weekend and that kind of thing. But then there are other times where I'm reminded of exactly why I did this. And, yeah. and the connections that I'm able to make with patients and families. And, and I think that there are really, really beautiful things about being a physician and being in medicine or in healthcare in general. And I, I think that it's important to acknowledge those, but also not ignore that there are some really difficult yeah. parts to it as well. And, you know, with that in mind, just just being cognizant of there will be ups and downs and knowing yourself and the things that are important to you and being willing to seek out help when you need it, I think are are really important aspects of the journey. Yeah, definitely. I mean, speaking of that, besides, like we said, the burdens of, I mean, I have friends who are residents and Mm -hmm. I think it starts very early on, you know, Mm -hmm. like the physical and the emotional toll that comes with it and i can imagine for residency right i mean we've been hearing well we've always known but i think she's been shed to light the you know the financial aspect during residency uh i know people have been doing calculations so it's like minimum wage but there's like 80 to 100 work weeks mm-hmm. you know especially mm-hmm. decades before and sleepless nights on calls you know you must have a lot of family gatherings or mm-hmm. friend gatherings and holidays mm-hmm. and all of that but i think one thing that you can't really separate for most in the medical education, especially in the United States, is the whole financial aspect. And even outside of medicine, it's just, I feel like just going to school here in the United States, it's like, it's, like, it's just synonymous to having student loans, right? Student debt. And according to the American Debt Statistics in the survey they did in March of 2021, 80% of Americans are in debt, totaling up to a collective amount of $14 trillion. And most of that is mortgage, but $2 trillion of that 14 is allocated to just student loans for both undergraduate and graduate students in all faculties and in all disciplines. And we know that healthcare for some reason i don't know if you've seen there's this post that came out on instagram where it talked about the top 20 student loans by profession Mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. the first five were like different fields of dentistry and then the rest are like physician or Mm -hmm. physician assistant or nurse practitioner or other doctorate programs in healthcare right which can and i know someone in dental school who has loans at their graduation totaling up to half a million dollars so it's definitely a pressing issue here in the united states that might not be true to other countries and as a financial educator that I truly respect and I, I learned so much from your post, I wanted to get your introspection on the whole aspect of student loans, specifically for the medical school journey. I just want to know, like, did you take out loans for medical school mm-hmm. and how does that 
who work like going through residency where the general resident may make may not be enough to meet the gravity of those student loans. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I definitely have have student loans. I have over $200,000 in student yeah. loans personally. Yeah. Yeah. And the average amount for a physician is a, is around $200,000, which is a significant amount. And yeah. I mean, I think the reality of, of residency is when you're in training, just, you know, making sure that you're keeping up to date and, and at least paying the minimum. And for some people, yeah. the minimum is zero and it depends mm-hmm. on your yeah. income yeah. and what type of payment program you're in, but yeah. making sure that you're paying the minimum. And I think something that a lot of people don't realize, and, and I know we'll get into this later, but public service loan forgiveness is a big thing that we hear a lot about currently and, and people mm-hmm. are talking a lot about and and there's some changes coming too. And I think a lot of people don't realize for many people in academic institutions or in nonprofit institutions, which which are doing training in those institutions, mm-hmm. the, the time that you're in residency and, and working in residency counts towards that mm-hmm. forgiveness if you were working for a nonprofit or for a mm-hmm. government agency. And so I think just making sure that you're staying on top of your paperwork, that you're making sure you're keeping up with your payments, if, if at all possible, and yeah. and kind of recognizing that you're going to have to do a little bit of planning and, and coming up for with a plan as, as to how you're going to tackle it once you get out. But I think in residency, it's do the best you can, make the payments you can make and make sure you're on track and come up with a plan for, for how you're going to deal with it once you get out. Yeah, definitely. And then we talk about student loans. It's such a great and vague term, right? But we know like there's a lot of specifics when it comes to student loans because there's different types of loans that um, mm-hmm. many students take out, right? We have like direct subsidized or unsubsidized loans mm-hmm. or plus loans or private loans. I just wanted to get an aspect of each, if you could explain, especially for pre-med or pre-health students mm-hmm. who may be entering this field and, uh, you know, high school is, is free for most people, but mm-hmm. now that they're entering college, especially now it's September season, they're seeing mm-hmm. all of their financial breakdowns and they're especially mm-hmm. like, what the heck did I get myself <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really confusing. There's a lot of jargon and terminology yeah. around student loans, and it's super overwhelming and super confusing. And I think to break it down, essentially, when you're looking at direct subsidized or direct un- unsubsidized loans, essentially what that means is, is the government paying on your interest while you are in school. And unsubsidized loans are available to everyone, graduate school, you're, they're available to everyone regardless of financial need, whereas subsidized loans, they're based on financial need and they're only available to undergraduates. And so if you have a subsidized loan, that means the government is paying the interest for you while you're in mm-hmm. school and for up to six months after school during your grace period. And for the rest of us who are in graduate school or who don't have unsubsidized or who, excuse me, don't have subsidized loans, that interest is accruing throughout the time that you're in school. And so from the moment it's dispersed to you, to the time you start, you get it paid off, that interest is accruing. And I think that that's one big problem with the student loan system as a whole, right? The interest is ridiculous, you know, six, 7% in in some cases. And and so it's a really high interest type of of loan for something Mm -hmm. that, you know, is in many ways, the only way that people can afford higher education. And then when it comes to plus loans, those are loans that essentially are for people who have reached the limit of of what they can be loaned. So each type of of student loan has a a max amount that can be Mm -hmm. loaned per year. And then if you need more financial assistance beyond that, the plus loan is where that comes in. And parents can take that out or Mm -hmm. graduate students can take that out. And you have to, in many cases, kind of have a credit approval process. And that 
is also accruing interest, those mm -hmm. plus loans are accruing interest throughout the time that you're in school. And they're often a little bit higher interest than mm -hmm. some of the mm -hmm. other types of loans. Mm -hmm. And then there's there's private loans, which are, you know, loans that are from the private sector, not federal mm -hmm. loans altogether. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a, a little bit of a breakdown on the different types yeah. of, of loans uh, out there. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, like on the bird's side view, it sounds so overwhelming, especially mm -hmm. when we focus on the word. <laughs> I mean, I think for each one that we talked about, it's like interest, 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 <laughs> yeah. interest, right? And basically you're in school and you're studying hard and then in the background, you know, all this like percentages like increasing and incurring mm -hmm. and just accumulating. And I guess specifically for like medical school, once you got out of medical school and you're in the residency, you know, all of the interest is incurring as well. And mm -hmm. that's why we hear so many physicians who are like, you know, I paid this much and then I still haven't paid it off because I was basically just paying the interest mm -hmm. that accumulated, right? And actually for the second episode of the second season of this podcast, Dr. Kate, who's a neonatologist, she was talking about how, I forgot which type of loan, but she was paying it off for the past, like so many years she's been attending. Mm -hmm. And if you look at her statements, almost still the same. Yeah. When she was starting out of school because of the interest. Of the, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Look at it, it's like, Oh my gosh, like this whole loan system is like a scam, right? It's like literally like a trap that's like you feel like you can never overcome it, right? And and I guess for many students, that's how it feels, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely there's students who can afford to pay in graduate school or mm -hmm. who may have parents who pay their graduate education or they can afford it themselves. But I think the story for many is is that many are kind of trapped in, in these contracts and this, mm -hmm. and this loans, you know, all this loan details. How would one go about repaying this what seems to be like such a huge mountain yeah and see the other side of right yeah it's in, it's incredibly overwhelming and i think that having an idea if we're talking specifically about people in in the field of medicine mm -hmm. having an idea of where you see your career trajectory going mm -hmm. so if you're going to be in for example a, a high paying specialty you're going to be in a subsurgical specialty that's going to be paying you know really well when you get out then in some cases, and, and again, I should put a disclaimer out here for all of this. I'm an educator, not a financial advisor. It's none of this is personal yeah. financial advice, but just speaking generally to the, to the topic. So, I, you know, if you're someone who's going to be earning a lot of money when you get out of residency or fellowship, it might make sense to, you know, attack that loan aggressively when you get out and, and just pay yeah. it off as, as quickly as possible. That might be your best way of doing it. Yeah. But if you're going to be someone who is going to be working, you know, in a, in a, primary care specialty mm -hmm. or in many subspecialties of pediatrics, which are, mm -hmm. are lower paying than mm -hmm. many of the other subspecialties out there, it might be worth looking into loan forgiveness programs. And this goes for people who are not in medicine as well. There are, yeah. you know, many, many types of loan programs out there that will help with repayment or even provide scholarships while mm -hmm. you're in school mm -hmm. to help kind of ease that loan burden as you go through school, if you're going to, if you're willing to work in an underserved area. And so I think kind of being aware of the options and, and as well as your career trajectory and, and yeah. where you see yourself going. And I think one thing that you hear a lot about is refinancing your student loans. You'll hear people talk about refinancing their student loans to a private lender. And I think that in some cases that can be really beneficial because the interest rate gets much lower in most cases than the Can you explain rate. that for those who may not know what refinancing is? Yeah, absolutely. So basically you have your federal student loans and if you 
you say you're paying six, seven percent interest on that. There are many cases where you can take those federal student loans and refinance them or have another lender take them over. And in the private sector, not the federal sector, in the private sector, and you can have your interest rate be much lower. And so if you're someone who's going to be attacking that student loan balance aggressively and trying to pay it off on your own, then that might be something that that would be a benefit to you. However, I think it's really important to acknowledge that that does come with drawbacks because, for example, the people who have done that didn't get the advantage of having the COVID forbearance that Mm -hmm. the federal student Mm -hmm. loans have Mm -hmm. or won't benefit from the student loan forgiveness that Biden just, you know, kind of instituted. And so there are definitely drawbacks. And I think also when it comes to private student loans, recognizing that in most cases with death and disability, they're not discharged, not all cases, but most cases. And so your family might be stuck paying on those things if something happens to you. Whereas with federal student loans in the, in the event of permanent disability or, or death, usually those loans are forgiven. And so just understanding the the nuances and the caveats yeah. uh, associated with each of the, the routes that you take, I think is really important. It's no longer October, but let me tell you a horror story. I was working bedside as a nurse. 12 hour shifts, 12,000 to 15,000 steps per night, always exposed to dripping blood, pee, and other fluids. And guess what? I was wearing skateboarding shoes for almost a year. Because my feet were killing me, I switched to more comfortable sneakers but had to go through three pairs because I would find new stains after shifts. And over time, as the pandemic came, I was too exhausted to think about my feet or even changing my footwear. I was then introduced to Clove, and I no longer had to do the thinking. To support the steps of those who dedicate their lives to caring for others, Clove collaborated with healthcare professionals and innovative designers to create a shoe that prioritizes the needs of those in the front line. These are sneakers designed for healthcare. They already did the thinking. Easy to clean and fluid repellent, I no longer have to worry about those red streaks or pea-soaked socks since I use the same wipes at work to remove every stain. Just this summer, one of my patients unexpectedly bled from the radial artery access site and made a pool of my brilliant whites on the floor. A few swipes with the purple wipes, all clean and with no damage. Plus being squeak-free, I no longer have to worry about waking up a sleeping patient. Layered with comfort, sore toes are no longer my problem since the shoes are now upgraded with double the cushioning, 50% more arch support, and a perfect heel pad. On top of this, the grippiest outsole also allows for a fluid channel technology while maintaining super secure footing. And yes, it's 100% cruelty free and vegan. I love all of my clothes shoes and I hope that you can get ready to also step into your perfect pair. Use code FRANZ, that's F-R-A-N-Z or visit goclove.com slash friends for 15% off your first pair of clove shoes at checkout. I am no stranger to seeing patients that can't get the care they need because they can't afford it. Even if they get a medical recommendation that will help them, oftentimes, medication costs are so high it's totally out of reach, or they would have to choose between feeding their family or paying rent in order to get the medication, so people have to go without. After living through a pandemic, on some level, we all know the healthcare system in the United States is broken. That is why I am happy to see that mission-driven businesses are now taking an interest in the problem because it's not getting solved fast enough. Better Remedies is one of those companies doing something to really meaningfully help people with medical expenses, in particular, getting their medications. Better makes over-the-counter medication, think pain, gas, cough and flu, sleep, all the essentials for your medicine cabinet. For every box of Better Remedies sold, they cover the cost of someone's life-saving medication for a month. And this is someone who would otherwise have to choose between food, rent, gas to get to work, or otherwise caring for themselves or their family. It is such an easy switch to make, 
you get the same great relief you need for 10% less than other big name brands, and someone who doesn't have the access to their meds will get the help they need. In general, it's good to know the active ingredient you need for your symptoms rather than just buying a big name brand. It'll save you money, and because active ingredients are FDA regulated, you'll still be getting the results you need. Plus, if you buy from Better, you are also helping someone else in a big way too. It's putting your headaches, farts, and insomnia to work. And that's something we can all feel better about. I've been buying my Better Remedies products at Walmart at any time I need to stock up. And you can do the same. Everything is priced about 10% less than the big brands, works just as well, and makes an impact on something that is really important and that I am personally very passionate about. Make the switch next time you need relief. You'll feel better and be doing some good. And when you're talking about public service loan forgiveness, I think I was going through Twitter one month ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And someone posted, it was like, I woke up and my student loan balance is zero. Mm-hmm. From, I forgot what's the amount, but she was like, am I dreaming? And she's a attending <laughs> physician of many years now. And so it seems like this magic, they just take the magic mm-hmm. eraser and just erase it. <laughs> And I know you touched upon this earlier, and I think what people have in mind is the number of 10 years, right? 10 mm-hmm, years, mm-hmm. 10 years, 10 years. Can you explain what PSLF is for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. So public service loan forgiveness is essentially a program through the federal government mm-hmm. that offers forgiveness of your student loans if you meet certain criteria. The most important aspect of that is that you have to be working for a qualifying employer, a nonprofit, a government agency something along those lines. So working for a qualifying employer, and most cases you have to be in a qualifying repayment program. So that's an income-driven repayment program. Those payments are the types of payments that will count if you're working towards a qualifying employer. So once you make 120 payments, 10 years of payments, working for a qualified employer, making the right type of payments, you also have to have the right type of loans. So you have to have direct loans through the direct program. So if you don't have those, you might have to consolidate into a direct loan. Mm-hmm. making sure that you meet those criteria, then your loans will be forgiven after you've made payments for 10 years. And I think a few questions that got into my DMs are asking about the PSLF, and mm-hmm. they were asking if PLUS loans and private loans were included in the forgiveness. Yeah, that's a really good question. To my knowledge, PLUS loans are not included. Mm-hmm. I think you have to consolidate to a, a, a direct loan. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they're not included, though. And then private loans are definitely not included. Um, Private loans definitely are not. But the plus loans, I would have to double check. But I am almost sure that you have to consolidate into a direct loan in order to get that balance forgiven. Yeah. I feel like private loans and and there's some who take credit card loans, credit card debt as well. Mm -hmm. It's like the devil of all devils when it comes to loans, right? Especially for school. And I know many use credit cards as well, like to get books or whatnot mm-hmm. that may not if they have already met the cap of, mm-hmm. of of their student loans yeah i mean it talks about student loans and, and i just see this unseen heavy toll of mm-hmm. that and i guess that's true for many health students right pre-health mm-hmm. students is like i said i know someone in dental school who has like five hundred thousand dollars of that i know people who just finished np or pa school also mm-hmm. um and the six figures of that and physical therapy as well for the doctorate programs mm-hmm. and i think stepping away from that field of student loans is you know obviously you make the minimum payments much you can and you try to pay it off and then life happens right mm-hmm. emergencies happen mm-hmm. and there's people who like are very aggressive with their loan payments, right? Mm-hmm. And 
And then there's nothing left for emergencies, right? <laughs> for those rainy days, for those stormy days. And, and I think included in our list of questions, because I, I received a lot of questions on it, is when it comes to saving, in the face of debt, whether it be student loan debt or if people have high amounts of credit card debt or mm-hmm. other types of debt. How do you facilitate in your mind and in a general sense of how to mix saving and making these payments for these mm-hmm. debt? Like, should you not save and just put all of your money into paying these off, you know? Or is there a healthy balance of both? How does that work in the face of the how the savings work or should work do you think yeah i think that's a that's a really good question i think maybe it's it's a question of financial priorities and the way that i kind of approach this question is kind of stepwise one if you are working for an employer that offers a 401k match you should contribute to your 401k that's investing for your future at least up to the amount that your employer matches so if they're matching three percent of your paycheck then you should contribute at least three percent of your paycheck or six percent or whatever your whatever that number is because that's free money you're getting free money invested yeah. it's a one-to-one match yeah after that i think the priority should be your emergency fund and the reason that i say that is because when it comes to emergencies, if you don't have an emergency fund, then you are at higher risk of having to take out more debts in order to pay for emergencies. And I think that a lot of people feel overwhelmed and like, well, I don't know where to get this money. I don't know how much to put there. I, the, the general recommended guidance is three to six months of, of savings in an emergency fund. Now you're not going to get there overnight. And yeah. so setting a small goal, even if it's, you know, this year I want to get a thousand dollars in my emergency fund. Yeah. You know, if you if you put aside 80 bucks a month into a high yield savings account, you can do it. Yeah. And so yeah. setting small, reachable goals, mm-hmm. I think setting unreachable goals is just discouraging. And so setting reachable, small goals that kind of move you forward mm-hmm. in that direction mm-hmm. is, is really important. Yeah. And then after your emergency fund, I would say all debt is not equal. And so high interest debt, like credit card debt, that's 17, 20 percent. You need to tackle that aggressively because that interest adds up and is a yeah. huge hindrance to you being able to reach financial independence in yeah. the future. And then I would say that after that, if you have money that you can put aside, even if it's 20 bucks a month into something to invest in a Roth IRA or if, depending on where you are in your investment journey, your income journey, whatever, whatever accounts you have available to you. You can put, you know, just a little bit, even if it's a small amount, that amount adds up. And then after that comes your low interest debts. And I use low, low interest loosely. I think it depends on who you talk to, but anything, I would say anything less than 7%, I would consider low interest personally. There are different people who think differently. And the reason that I say that is because on average, over the course of time, not every year, if you're looking at the stock market right now, this is not what you will see, but over the course of time, the stock market returns on average somewhere around the, the 7 to 10% range every year annualized. And so if you're able to have money in there, it will grow beyond that interest, essentially, that you would be losing, if that makes sense. And so you're kind of getting a return on your investment that's a little bit higher than the return on investment mm-hmm. you might get putting it towards that. But again, recognizing that investing it's a long game. It's not something you're going to be able to do overnight and, and get wealthy overnight per yeah. se. But time is really, really, really important when it comes to investing. So even small amounts, if you have 25 years, 30 years to invest yeah. small amounts, then that grows and it, and it matters. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, 
So I don't know if that answers your question directly. Yeah, yeah, but, definitely, uh, definitely. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully you get yeah. an idea yeah. of where to go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think it's like a matter of also like trying to facilitate, right? Like where your money goes. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess also like knowing that there's families who may be of a socioeconomic status where it's really paycheck to paycheck, you mm -hmm. know, and, and there's debt that's involved in the financial matters because they had to take care. There was an emergency mm -hmm. and there's really no funds to save, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. in face of that, like how do you, you know, like maneuver your money, like when the paycheck comes, right? Yeah. Do I save? Do I pay the debt? Or, mm -hmm. yeah, and I, and I agree with like when it comes to the interest rates because I know there's like credit card rates that goes up to like 27% interest mm -hmm. per month, mm -hmm. right? And the balance that's added to the balance that's there based on interest is not just based on, right, what you purchased on a given statement month, but also the balance that was already existing there mm -hmm. so it's like mm -hmm. there's basically like two different values that's added it to grows, it every grows, month it grows. and yeah. it grows every time and and as your balance grows the monthly minimum payment grows as well and maybe mm -hmm. harder to meet the demands monthly yeah it's generally i find it so and i know my friends in europe and in different countries in asia always last of me for being in america because they they're like you know that is a very kind of like intricate part of any country but it's kind of like an epidemic in the united states right and mm -hmm. it's like many countries in households and then and familial factions or even individual factions it's like they don't have these problems of like this gross amount of debt and the percentage of um, the interest that's incurred with it, right? So it's kind of like, oh my gosh, what is America going through? It's like, like, like mm -hmm. what is this? And and I think that brings to like, you know, many people's questions of, do I save? How do I budget? And I think I want to touch back on what you were talking about with the 401k and or contributing to a Roth IRA. You know, you were talking about saving for emergency funds or saving just to save. And then, there's saving for retirement, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and I, I would like for you to explain if you can, like the difference, you know, 401k, 403b, mm -hmm. traditional versus Roth IRA. But also a, a question that came into my DMs as well was, how important is saving for retirement with these funds? Like <laughs> someone even, even tell me, I should have sent you a screenshot of it. They were like, if tomorrow is not promised, why do I even have to save up for mm. future? And mm. I'll leave that to you. <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's a great question. Yeah. Um. So I I want to before I address that I want to go yeah. back to something you yeah. said. I think it is really important to acknowledge, as you said, that there are people who have no option but live yeah. paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And yeah. I think that when it comes to personal finance and talking about money, there's often a lot of shame associated with yeah. not yeah. being able to yeah. do certain yeah. things like yeah. pay off debt yeah. quickly yeah. or yeah. not being able to you know or having credit card debt yeah. or not yeah. being able yeah. to yeah. invest or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. Mm -hmm. And so. When you hear people talking about, this is what you should be doing with your money. This is what you should, you know, this is where you should go. This is how you should yeah. do it. I think yeah. it's really important to recognize you can only do the best that you can do. And if you are in a place where you are living to paycheck to paycheck, yeah. or if you're in a place where you 
you know, made some decisions in the mm-hmm. past that have led you to be mm-hmm. in a significant amount of debt yeah. or had no no option but to be in a yeah. significant amount of debt. Yeah. There shouldn't be any, yeah. any yeah. shame associated with that. Mm-hmm. And all we can do is learn, grow, and and do our best to, to move forward. Yeah. And so I think it's really important that we acknowledge that mm-hmm. we can only do the best we can. Mm-hmm. And shame is a really poor motivator. Yeah. And yep. so being able to step away mm-hmm. and 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 separate ourselves from that shame and move forward is, is yeah. really important. But to the question about should I say for a time when tomorrow isn't promised, I think I mean I think that's valid. The, the world seems yeah. seems somewhat bleak right now, yeah. right? We're always hearing yeah. something something awful on the yeah. news. Um, I I would say that your future self will regret not saving for retirement because I think one of the biggest things that people don't understand about investing and saving for retirement is that time is one of the most important factors. And so if you start, you know, investing at say 30 years old Mm -hmm. and, you know, put say 200 bucks a month in, you know, that 200 bucks over the course of a a month, over the course of 30 years, and hopefully as your income grows, you can start putting more, will add up to a significant amount. Yeah. Whereas if you don't start investing until you're 45, you're going to have to start putting way more money into investments mm-hmm. and in order to grow it, in order to be prepared yeah. for retirement. And so I think compound interest is yeah. is the term that you might hear people use is really overlooked and misunderstood oftentimes. And so people feel like, man, I just don't have a lot of money to put towards investing. Even a little bit yeah. over a long period of time can go a very long way. And if you want to just play with some numbers, go to type in compound interest calculator. There's bank rate. Um, I think the government also has a compound interest mm-hmm. calculator that you can just play with numbers and you can see mm-hmm. the power of mm-hmm. time in, yeah. in growing your money. And I think it's really important to recognize that small amounts over a long period of time can go yeah. a very long way. Yeah. And I think that it's something that, you know, while, while the future does look bleak, I hope that we're all here in 30 years yeah. and and we're able to enjoy our lives and yeah. and be able to live mm-hmm. in freedom yeah. with the money that we put aside. And yeah. I think it's it's really important to plan for that. Having worked as a nurse in cardiac surgery recovery and outpatient interventional cardiology, I learned that listening is a vital part of the field. But beyond listening to what patients say, it's also important to hear what they don't say. And many times, you can hear this in the stillness and quietness of the room as their chest thumps and rhythms that can range from normalcy to urgency. A person's heartbeat is not only a sign of life, but also a sign of its quality. According to the CDC, arrhythmias, or abnormal heart sounds, have an expected prevalence of about 1.5% in the general population, with atrial fibrillation being the most common. This is why it is so important that we can adequately hear and detect heart and even lung sounds that may be detrimental to human life. ECHO provides smart digital stethoscopes, such as the 3M Letman Core Digital Stethoscope, that help you check for signs of heart and lung disease in seconds during physical exams with unprecedented enhanced stethoscope sound and automated detection. This is all through a quick pairing with your mobile device. This is made possible by features such as having up to 40 times amplification, active noise cancellation, wireless listening, auto-triggered heart murmur and atrial fibrillation detection, and real-time visualization of sound and ECG that you can share as a consult with a trusted colleague or specialist. Every patient encounter deserves exceptional care. Hear clearly and care confidently with ECHO. The virtual space is flooded with so many different brands, resources, and gears made for healthcare workers from all disciplines. 
from scrubs to pins and even compression socks, it can truly get overwhelming trying to find the best product fit for you. Links to these items can get lost, and the list can get so long that you forget what you actually needed to purchase for your next work shift. This is why I am so grateful to partner with Lumify, the community marketplace for healthcare workers all in one app. Finding the brands you love, discovering new tools, and accessing your resources and communities shouldn't be difficult. Instead of going to 50 different websites to access what you need, you can find it all on Lumify, where over 200 brands, organizations, and resources are united with one goal to support healthcare workers. As a nurse-founded company, Lumify believes that all healthcare professionals deserve a trusting and supportive community of their peers. In Lumify, you can easily communicate with your peers to trade advice, share product recommendations, and discuss what resources are best to support you. You can even earn Lumify points on every purchase you complete, which you can save for product discounts. Whether it's mental health resources, or fluid-resistant shoes, hi Clove, or stethoscopes, hi Echo, or podcasts, welcome to France of France, Lumify is trusted by over 75,000 healthcare professionals at the bedside and beyond, including myself. Enter this new healthcare ecosystem where you can get 10% off using the code LUMIFYFRANZ, that's L-U-M-I-F-Y-F-R-A-N-Z, at LUMIFYCARE.com or the Lumify app available for download on iOS devices. It's a one-stop shop, and I hope you drop by. It's it's hard, right? It's it's. I mean, I mean, I think one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you is why is financial literacy so important? Is mm-hmm. is because of things like these, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's such a confusing sector and in, in life, mm-hmm. like whole financial aspect. You know, Capital One did a survey, I think, a few years ago, where they asked a group of people, uh, "What's the cost of their stresses in mm-hmm. daily life?" And 70 or 75% said it's finances. And mm. it's uh, and it's true. I mean, even if you are not living with paycheck to paycheck, it's there's people, you know, have families who have mm-hmm. to support for their families. Or for you, or you want to go into higher education, right? Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And, and I think if you have the capacity, right, making those choices to even put in just a little for the future that may not mm-hmm. be even guaranteed or insured. You know, it's like, you're right, those small steps, it helps a lot. And it also builds a framework as well, like mentally mm-hmm. as well, right? Like there's a sense of, even though time may not be of assurance, it's like there's a sense of assurance within yourself that, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I can look forward to something. And, mm-hmm. and we've seen this through <laughs> the pandemic of, how the whole world was shaken up mm-hmm. and uh, how people's daily life was shaken up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there's the small businesses that, um, unfortunately, many have gone, right? Because mm-hmm. um, they couldn't meet the demands well, you know, of all the costs and about, of that during lockdown, stuff like that. And people as well, you know, people may not have been able to go to work. Yes, there was there were unemployment assistance, but, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense, they could only go through so much, right? And mm-hmm. I think a question that came into a lot of people's minds were, like, the aspect of life insurance, right? Mm-hmm. How beneficial do you think and or profitable do you think it is to put something monthly? I, th- I think it also is also within the area of the questions of retirement um, plans mm-hmm. as well, right? Is how beneficial you think do you think it is to invest every 
month in mm-hmm. to an insurance to a life that is not inherently insured every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to insurance, the point of insurance is is to be able to provide for your family should something awful and catastrophic yeah. happen, right? Yeah. Um, and I think this, this is all the more coming back to student loans. This is all the more important if you have someone who is co-signed on your student loans, like your parents or a partner who is co-signed on student loans that might be left with the responsibility of taking care of your student loans should you unfortunately pass away. And so I think that when it comes to life insurance, term life insurance, um, you'll hear lots of different terms around life insurance and it can get really confusing. But I think for most people, term life insurance is more than sufficient and uh, a policy for term life insurance that that will be comfortable for your family should you pass away if you're young and healthy and you start thinking about that now and start getting a policy now Mm -hmm. it's it's a small amount every month you know i don't know 30 Mm -hmm. bucks a month is is Mm -hmm. something i'm throwing out there and Mm -hmm. you can you can go to something like policygenius.com or whatever and look at different rates but it's actually a pretty small amount Mm -hmm. um of of a monthly contribution in order to kind of cover you for however long that term is. And the point of insurance is to cover you until you get to financial independence, right? So if you are working hard and, and, you know, making smart financial choices, whenever that financial independence time comes Mm -hmm. for you and you're able to provide yourself for yourself, should you Mm -hmm. not be able to work, then you don't need insurance anymore. And so it's really kind of a stopgap. Yeah. to get you to the point of financial independence. And so I do think it's something that's really important. I think it's really, while we're talking about this, really important to also be aware that people who are in healthcare are often high-income earners, and there are people out there who will try to take advantage of people in healthcare because they're high-income earners and try to sell life insurance as an investment. Yeah. And I think it's really important to be a bit wary of thinking of life insurance as an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, those types of policies are often very expensive. Whenever someone is trying to sell you life insurance as an investment, you should ask them how they're getting paid. Are they getting a commission off of selling you this policy? Mm-hmm. And I won't say that there's no place for anyone in the world to have a whole life insurance policy, but for the vast majority of people, yeah. term life insurance is more than sufficient. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just there as a stopgap to protect your family in case you aren't able to, to yeah. be there to provide and, and help. And so, or the short answer, yes, I think I think it is yes. important. I think it's really important. Yeah, certainly. And what we've been talking about is, you know, tackling things that are already existence in the sense that we talked about, okay, we have student loans, we're going to tackle it. Retirement plans, okay, let's tackle that. Life insurance, mm-hmm. let's tackle that. But I want to step away for a second from tackling things that's already there and existent like interest and the loans that's there mm-hmm. but like step back i think going back to that moment of someone still trying to something for medicine entering this field and seeing this like map in front of them of mm-hmm. the incurring amount of loans yeah. and debt and interest and you know going back to what we were talking about in in the beginning is you know the medical journey, aside from the whole mental and emotional aspect of the work and the 
rigor of the curriculum and the training itself, but specifically for the United States, and I'm mm-hmm. saying this because we know of countries who this is not a problem for them, mm-hmm. but the amount of loans that one has to take, again, and the interest, and you go through residency, and you just, you know, you try your best, and then we hear this term of even after residency, you live like a resident for a few mm-hmm. years, right? Um, there is a high school student who's or a child whose biggest dream is to become a physician. Mm-hmm. But there's just this big and huge roadblock of this financial aspect of mm-hmm. now questions in their mind of, is it worth taking this path when I'll be imbued with so much debt that mm-hmm. will you know, last for years? I mean, you're, you're basically sacrificing the primordial years of your early adulthood, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and this whole financial toll, is it is it still worth it for someone whose passion may be medicine, but it's it's just is it worth it with this amount of financial burden? It's it's a good question and it's not yeah, it's not an easy one to answer. I think it's yeah. really person dependent. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, you know, if there are other fields that you think you could be just as happy in and, you know, end up with a different type of life and less debt and that type of thing, I would seriously mm-hmm. consider those. But if you are, you know, if this is the thing you want and, you know, this is this is for sure the direction you want to go and this has been your dream your whole life, then, you know, I wouldn't be one to say you shouldn't do it just because of, of the student debt. But I do think that you should definitely like keep that in mind as a reality and as, yeah. as, as something that you're going to have to think about and work through. And, you know, it might be worth looking into, you know, what type of programs are available. Some people go through the military. Some people, yeah. you know, work through National Health Service Corps and get kind of a scholarship through that and have yeah. their loans taken care of through that. There's so be medical schools now too, yeah. Yeah, so just looking at the options available to you, and and I would say that for any student who is entering this journey, you know, take out as few loans as you possibly mm-hmm. can. If you are able to get, and again, I recognize that not everyone is in yeah. this boat, but if you're able to get help from family, if you yeah. are able to, you know, find other ways to fund that without taking out that student debt, or take then, a few gap years to save money, maybe or that then then you know whatever you can yeah. whatever you can do to on the other side find yourself you know being comfortable with the amount of debt that you have and and the journey that you're on i think it's it's something yeah. to consider yeah and uh, as a final thing is going back to that 70 percent of people who's in the, according to the survey the daily stresses is finances mm-hmm. and like we said 80 percent of americans do have that and you know definitely someone is feeling just drowning in underwater with mm-hmm. the amount of debt and whatever mm-hmm. sphere that is student loan or credit card debt as a financial educator what would be your one piece of hope advice mm-hmm. or something to someone who's struggling because of finances yeah 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 it's a huge stressor and yeah. i would just say don't give up like you can absolutely do this I think that money doesn't have to be complicated. I think that it seems really overwhelming and complex, but Mm -hmm. really just a few small principles go such a long way. And so 
grab a book, uh, read a book. Uh, one I really like is I Will Teach You Be Rich by Ronnie Steffi. It's a really great framework. Or The Broke Millennial is also a really great book. Follow some financial educators online. And, and you know, just a little bit of education could go a long way. And you can absolutely make your way out of that. People have done this time and time again. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of looking at the big picture, readjusting some things yeah. and coming up with a plan and yeah. and, and yeah. persevering and tackling it because it's it's absolutely doable. I don't want to minimize that it's stressful. Yeah. 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 I don't yeah. want to want to minimize yeah. that debt is overwhelming. Those yeah. are not things that, that I want to in any way minimize. But yeah. I I do want to offer hope that yeah. it's absolutely something that you can you can learn and do yeah. and be successful at. Yeah. yeah. Uh this is such an important talk and it's it's just a very helpful one, you know. And I think it's super super important because like you said, money can be so complicated. Mm-hmm. And especially when clouded with things like loans and mm-hmm. you know, like you said, September school starting like student loans and people living from paycheck to paycheck or so many responsibilities. So it's it's just so important to have financial literacy because it also helps to eliminate that shame that we were talking mm-hmm. about, right? Like, you know, we just do our best, right? And mm-hmm. thank you for shedding a light on that. And it's I, I learned so much and it's such a pleasure. I know so many people will learn as well and, and have learned as well for those who tuned in. And uh, thank you so much yeah, for, for having me. Really me. I'm so happy to meet you online. It's, it's thank you so much. I know. Yeah. I, I'm such a huge fan of your work and all of your posts. And thank you for all the education you do online. So thank you so oh, much. Thank you. I, I really hope it's helpful to people. And, yeah, and no, if no. I can, you know, if there's anyone out there that's just like, I feel really overwhelmed, I, you know, and you need a word of hope feel free to shoot me a message and i'll i'll try to try to give you some encouragement yeah. so you can do it yeah. thank you so much for your time i hope you have a great rest of the night there i'm so jealous right. of you being all the way on the other side and here it's Next getting time colder. Here, let's, let's hang out it'll be good yes i will have a good night thank you all so right, much bye, bye. We have now reached the end of the story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of Franz. I hope you had an enjoyable adventure learning about our expert guest, their work, and why they do the things that they do. Please check out the rest of the series available on all podcast platforms. Please also consider following the podcast on the platform that you prefer. Turn on the alerts for new episodes so you don't miss new stories. And give us a rating to support the show. You can find more updates on the podcast's official Instagram at Friends of France Pod or my personal Instagram at Chris Franz. That's without the I because there is no I in team. <laughs> I'm kidding. Someone already took the username. Have a great day or night, everybody.